The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. You got supposed to earn it or what to do with it or how to keep it you're a freak with a dark shameful secret but you're not the only one get your hidden financial fears with a blast of sun now your healing has begun it's back with money with gabby dunn hello 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 i'm gabby dunn and this is bad with money so i am not a morning person It's like my brain prefers to give no fucks until at least 11 a.m., though I do get up early. But I feel like, I don't know, not being able to function until a little bit after you wake up is a completely reasonable request. Lately, on top of that, I get in kind of a weird mood early in the morning. Like, not just tired. Like, I roll over in bed, I check social media, reconfirm that, yes, the world is still going to hell, and then... My morning's pretty ruined. I already don't want to be awake. Then you add a dash of politics and gun violence around the country and everything else on Twitter and it just sucks. It's hard not to get upset about what's happening in America right now because we should be upset and awake and thinking about what we can do. For me right now in my life, that's still considering whether I even want to live in America. I've been talking about that and thinking about it all season because it's a serious decision. But after hearing all these interviews with people around the world, I've decided to take the first step. I'm building an escape the U.S. plan. You know, just in case. So the guests we're going to talk to are going to help me make some tough choices about what direction I take my plan. Like... Let's get really literal. What are the biggest factors I should be considering as I make this decision? So first, I'm calling the founder of an expat web hub. They regularly survey the quality of life for expats around the world. We've talked to a lot of people about their individual experiences this season, but this guy can probably give me the big picture on how people are living and working abroad. So I'm going to make some comparisons and think about where it might make sense for me to go. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi, Gabi. It's Malte. How are you doing? Oh, I'm good. How are you? Very good indeed. Thank you for doing this. Of course. So for my listeners, uh, can you tell them who you are and what you do? Yes. My name is Malte Zeg. I'm the founder of internations.org, which is the worldwide largest network for expatriates and global minds. 
we help people who move abroad uh, to settle in quickly by providing uh, events uh, in 420 different cities around the world. Where are you originally from and where do you live now? I'm originally from Germany and I live today in Munich, Germany. So how did you come to like living abroad at, when you did and how did you how did you come to wanting to help expats? Yeah, that's a good story. I have been living abroad uh, quite a lot before. I already started living one year in the um, in high school in the United States uh, as an exchange uh, student. Mm -hmm. And also then afterwards, going to university, I lived in different countries, in Switzerland, in Italy, in Brazil, and studied there. And um, then I used to work as a television reporter for German television. And that brought me also as a correspondent and reporter to different countries like India, where I was reporting from New Delhi, for example, mm -hmm. I always found it quite challenging to get to another country, not knowing anyone, feeling a little bit lonely and lost at the beginning. Um, and that was the, the initial idea to create a platform that makes it really easy um, to get started uh, in your new uh, host country. Yeah, so when you're trying to experience a new country and obviously a new culture, um, you're trying to become immersed and like build community and feel at home there. So, uh, you know, why do you think it's important for expats to have a circle of connections in a new country? Well, I think that is uh, one of the main concerns of expats, of people moving to another country, to not be alone. Because when you go to another country, what you're leaving behind is your family, is your network of friends. Um, and that is very important for us humans. And so when you get to another country and these people are simply not there, it's very important that you build up this kind of network um, in your new location. So in terms of expat communities around the world, what are some trends that you've found about how, how we're living and working abroad today? So um, I think there's... Um, in general, a trend of people um, going on this um, exciting journey and embarking on living abroad in general. Um, it is definitely a trend that we see that more and more people decide to move abroad, and that for very different reasons. The biggest ones being work and love, mm -hmm. um, because either you're being sent abroad by your employer or you're simply looking for a job in another country, um, or you start your own business. Um, and love is another very big reason that um, you might be following your partner or you might get to know someone uh, who is from another country and then decide to be with him in that, him or her in that particular country. So these are very uh, big reasons. And then there's a, a couple of more lifestyle-related reasons, like um, looking for a better quality of life, uh, maybe for financial reasons. Um, if you're the adventurer and you just want to experience another culture, these are all reasons why people decide uh, to move abroad in the very first place. Yeah, in terms of financial reasons or lifestyle, I, I've seen from people that I've been speaking to on social media about why they moved. Um, it's like this place has universal health care. This place pays workers a better minimum wage. Things like Has that been some stuff that you've seen? Yeah, these are very important reasons to consider, especially also uh, before deciding where to move abroad. Um, because the fi financial situation that many people somehow expect is that they're better off in another country, right? Either because they go to a country with a 
lower um, cost of living in general or because they are planning to go to another country where their income will be significantly higher than at home. Uh, so that is definitely something uh, that people consider and should consider um, when moving uh, abroad, because um, if you do a mistake there, then your um, move abroad can, um, can end up in a big disappointment as well. Yeah, like research and, and prep obviously are a super important part of figuring out where you can, you know, where whether you should move and where you can move. So for people considering moving abroad but not sure like where makes the most sense for them, what would you say are the factors they should consider? Yeah, I think it's um, very important uh, to think about what is important for you as a person because the reasons uh, where to go they're very different um, for every single person. There's no how-to guide that fits each and every expat. Yeah? So you need to figure out what's important for you, for your family, uh, depending on your personal situation. For example, if you want to give up your career and live off your savings, a low cost of living will be your first priority. So, for example, in this year's um, survey that we did, the top three destinations could be Vietnam, Bulgaria, Ecuador, countries where you can really have a great life simply because the cost of living is low. If you want to, however, work remotely as a digital nomad, yeah, which is a strong trend as well, then a strong local economy isn't that important to you. Um, but if you want to build a new career locally, it is important. Yeah? So it very much depends on the situation that you're in. Or if you are um, moving abroad with a family, with kids, then you might particularly look for family-friendly destinations like the Nordic countries, like Denmark, Finland, Sweden. Um, these are countries where families are um, a lot better off. Yeah, or, I mean, the political climate, you know, if there's sort of cultural accessibility, like if it's a culture that accepts newcomers or not. Like, what's the um, hardest part that people wouldn't think of? I'm sure, like, the language barrier is what you mostly think of, but I've had people uh, tell me that, oh, they moved somewhere, and then it was like, oh, they they're, they super don't hire, you know, foreigners, basically, or that they they didn't realize that the political climate wasn't so good for someone of their race in that in that area. Yeah, so... The top three concerns before moving abroad um, of, of people are the first one really, as you mentioned, the language barrier. Um, the second one is uh, the distance from their home country and their family. Mm -hmm. And the third one being um, high cost of living. But there are these other factors that you mentioned as well. Political climate is a very big topic. Yeah, So the political stability of a country is essential for our well-being. Um, especially if it lacks, uh, may lead to legal insecurity like the Brexit uh, with the UK right. or even civil unrest like in Hong Kong right now. Um, so if we look at um, the results of our survey this year, um, then um, we see that um, also for, um, for the US, there is a big lack of political stability. Oh, I haven't noticed. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, the U.S. is terrible? <laughs> it has ranked rather low since 2016, uh, since a new president was elected. Very diplomatic way of putting that, but yeah, it has ranked quite low. <laughs> exactly. 
And in a similar thing we see in the UK regarding Brexit, uh, it has also affected the way expats feel about the UK. They're really worried about the immigration status, yeah, especially those from uh, from other EU, EU member states, mm-hmm. and also about the potential economic repercussions. So political climate definitely is a topic. Language barrier, uh, as you said, that is the biggest one uh, that people are concerned and understandable if you're in a country and you cannot um, get around there without knowing the local language, mm-hmm. then it can be super challenging. Um, and that also um, makes it then hard when you move for job-related reasons. Uh, because if you want to have a career abroad in some countries, in some industries, it's super important that you know the local language. Mm-hmm. And given that it's the number one reason to move abroad, um, it is definitely um, a topic and you, you want to consider where are my um, my perspectives from a job level uh, really good ones. So it makes sense to, to move there. What are, I know different places have different immigration requirements too. Like what are the different costs or what are places that, you know, it's that you need a lot of paperwork and you need a lot of uh, stuff versus places you might not. Well, um, typically um, in the Western world, there's um, a lot of uh, bureaucracy as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you want to immigrate to the U.S., that's not so easy. Right. Um, there's many uh, rules and regulations. The same is true for, for Europe, uh, indeed. Um, there might be some uh, other countries uh, in Asia or in Latin America uh, where that's uh, a lot easier um, it depends a, a lot on the individual country on, and also on the country of origin where you're from. Yeah, I mean, there are some countries of origin, if you're a passport holder, where it's a lot easier because visa requirements for these countries are a lot lower than uh, for some other countries. So again, it depends a lot, not only on the country where you want to go, but also where you come from. Yeah, yeah. Like, for instance, you know, someone coming from Latin America or Central America to the U.S. will probably have a more difficult time than someone coming from Sweden or Norway. Exactly. And also, on top of that, depends on what industry are you working on. Are you a skilled or unskilled laborer? Uh, How is the demand for your profession in that particular country? Of course, these countries... um, uh, these industrialized countries, they are looking for um, highly skilled laborers. And yeah. if you bring these uh, these skills, then it's a lot easier for you uh, to come there than if you're an unskilled laborer. Yeah, you should also check like your race versus how that how racist the place is. <laughs> Absolutely. That's that's very uh, important uh, as well. And um, another factor that is also um very important is also the cultural accessibility that people maybe don't have so much uh, on their mind. Um, It depends on various factors next to the language barrier. It's also about, do you have already previous international experience? Um, Do you um, have personality traits like resilience or flexibility? How big is the cultural gap between your home and your host country? For example, if you're moving from the US to Australia, uh, that's a lot easier than moving from the U.S. US to Georgia. Yeah. yeah. Um, potential discrimination, you mentioned that, due to race, gender, disability, religion, all of these things will increase stress. So no matter what, in the cultural journey that is going abroad, 
culture shock is very likely to happen at some point. So talking about jobs, what are uh, some of the emerging job pathways for English speakers? I know it's, you know, a lot of like teaching English or working in, you know, education in some way. Yeah, these, these I would see rather as the traditional um, profiles. Uh, the most common job pathways for English-speaking expats were in those service industries where not speaking the local language may not be a major barrier. So, for example, English skills are valued when it comes to working with tourists in the hospitality industry, in hotels, restaurants, guided tours, or also with regard to teaching in international or language schools. Those fluent in the local language uh, also have translation services as a fallback option. Um, plenty of countries also have occupational shortages in the healthcare sector. So if you're willing to acquire basic language skills and obtain additional qualifications, nurses, home aides, doctors, dentists, lab workers are widely sought after. So these are the rather traditional um, job pathways for English speakers. What we would consider as emerging, uh, emerging um, pathways um, are in industries such as business, finance, or IT and technology. In the IT sectors, expats are in particular demand. Um, so what we found out in our survey, one in nine expats worldwide is working in IT. In some countries, it was even every third respondent in Ireland, for example. Yeah. Um, and um, another trend uh, that we see is the digital nomads. So particularly younger expats, uh, they might decide to become digital nomads. That means um, if you have previous experience as a freelancer, mm -hmm. particularly in creative industries like influencer marketing, filmmaking, online marketing, web design, um, many of them combine work and travel for several months or even a couple of years. Yeah, like freelance uh, journalism as well. As well, journalism, yeah. And then also, um, as multinational companies are increasingly communicating in English to interact with an international consumer base, English speakers can be also valuable in filling the skills that may be in low supply in a particular country. So also management, advertising, and that depends a lot on the local job market and the, the respective education uh, system. And last but not least, skilled labor um, is also highly sought after wherever there's a construction boom. So if you have vocational training, qualifications, job experience in related trades, mm -hmm. like, for example, a plumber, wall and floor tiler, electrician, welder, you don't even need a college degree to make it abroad. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought of that. Um, so obviously people worry about the cost of moving and this is a show about money. So do you think that it's financially viable to move overseas for most Americans? I know like people probably either exaggerate how much it's going to cost or they uh, don't anticipate how much it's going to cost. Have you seen people who don't either don't anticipate it enough or who think it's too expensive and so don't do it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, first of all, I would really encourage everyone to um, move abroad, to leave your comfort zone, you know, that's what it is, and to broaden your personal horizon by doing that. Because eventually, 
this will help um, us to understand other cultures, nationalities, and eventually make the, the world a better place. Mm-hmm. Now, if you consider moving abroad to another country, then definitely um, the financial topic is a very important one. But um, again, um, there are countries where the cost of living is significantly lower than in the U.S. Uh, mm-hmm. So, uh, And we see that also not only with the working population, but especially with the retirees from the U.S., moving down south to countries like um, Ecuador, Costa Rica, Mexico, places like this, where cost of living is lower, where the quality of life is perceived better, particularly also for climate reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is a place, I would say, for everyone. Yeah, like there's no like barrier in terms of, you know, because I think Americans believe that traveling abroad is this privilege for like the middle class and above. Um, but you have extensive experience with expats. So are there are there certain pathways besides like picking a cheap place for people with little to no money? Do you run into people that make it work with, you know, maybe lower, like a lower amount of money saved or something? Or do you need to like save a bunch? No, no, no. Again, it depends very much on where you go to. I mean, um, as I said, there's people who work as English teachers, as uh, translators, interpreters, also in the hospitality industry where incomes are not so high. Again, there it depends on where you go and what's the kind of the, the, the job that you're um, that you're in. If you move to London, for example, London definitely is one of the most expensive cities in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, and you want to be sure um, that um, you, are, you will be able to cover the cost of living with either what you have saved or uh, the income that your, new, that your new job is bringing you. So if you're looking for um, another place where the cost of living is, is a lot lower, um, then you will also get around uh, with less money. Clearly, I mean, um, if you move in Europe to cities like Paris or uh, right. to, um, to London, then it's definitely it will be on the on the expensive side. And just alone from um, from the accommodation perspective, uh, you have to pay a lot for a single apartment in a city like London. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so that that should be uh, considered. While if you move to uh, let's say um, a smaller uh, a smaller uh, city, or if you move to another uh, country, rather in the, in the south of Europe, um, then uh, you you need a lot less um, to to get by for a longer time. Does some like a, a place like Internations, like your organization, does that does you guys sort of help people figure out where might be best, or do you like sort of have resources that people can look at for you know what what would be the best place for them or what would you know what they might need to move yes absolutely i mean we do once a year a really huge uh, survey we ask 20,000 expats uh, all around the world about um, how they perceive life in their respective home uh, host country and we ask uh, for about 45 to 50 individual factors yeah about the quality of life, how easy is it to settle in, how is the work life abroad, how is it with the family, how is the financial situation. And we compile particular rankings and um, create a a big uh, survey report, which also has a country report. So you can really go through it and think, okay, what is the best place 
for me, what is important for me? Is it for me that I'm moving with my family? So I should consider these things. Am I a career expat or am I just looking for maybe a better climate? Um, and then we also have um, very detailed country and city guides um, on intonations where you can uh, understand more about the health system in a country, the education system, visa requirements, things like that. And you can also ask in our forums uh, that we have for all of our 420 cities, other expats, how is life there? Um, uh, what do I need to consider before moving there? So you can have an exchange already beforehand. And of course, you can go to, um, to many of our events. We have more than 5,000 events every single month where the goal is really to meet other expats um, and exchange with them about their experiences. Yeah, because I think the stress and loneliness is like a number one or maybe one of the biggest things, but I would hope that wouldn't be prohibitive you know, to to people that actually really want to do it or are thinking about it. And also, uh, I just came into the office today and was like, I hate the election. I hate everything. <laughs> I don't want to be here, <laughs> which I think like, I mean, I bet a lot of people, like you said, you know, left the U.S., you know, out of the political climate or, or feeling unsafe. Yes, uh, we, we see that definitely. And um, again, um, if, if loneliness is a concern, then there, there's also different countries in terms of how easy is it to settle in. Mm -hmm. uh, typically, countries in Latin America or the southern part of Europe, it's a lot easier. Yeah? So in countries like Spain, Italy, Portugal, or in, um, as I said, also in Ecuador or Mexico, the locals are perceived a lot um, more open friendlier in general, friendlier towards the foreigners uh, that come to their country, and it's easier to make friends. Oh. If, if you move to countries like, um, uh, unfortunately, Germany, Switzerland, Austria, also the Nordic countries, it's a lot harder yeah, because uh, people are closer, they are being perceived as less friendly, less friendly towards foreigners. Um, and it's harder uh, to build up your, your network of friends. So these are also very important factors to consider um, if you are unsure about how easy it will be for you to, uh, to adapt and to build up in your network of friends. For um, long-term financial benefits to living abroad, is there, are there certain places that have better, you know, your job offers better ability to save for retirement or financial literacy is more valued or things like that. Are there, do you have any information on like people that have lived abroad for a while who it's just been better for them financially? Yes. I mean, there is definitely um, countries like Switzerland, for example, um, where you have a um, very high income level. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, you also have very high costs. Yeah? You, you mentioned um, costs for healthcare. Uh, that's a big topic. Um, also for housing, um, but but so it is a big topic in uh, in, in the U.S. as well. Yeah, the the, uh, the health system and the education system they come with very high uh, costs. Um, there's a, a couple of countries in Asia that are very popular. Yeah, like particularly like Taiwan, um, Singapore, Hong Kong. Uh, also Vietnam, where um, typically the income is quite good or the disposable household income 
um, is being perceived as more than enough to cover the daily costs. So it's the very good relationship between what you're earning and how much you have to spend to get by. Um, another popular place there is the Middle East, if you consider Dubai, Abu Dhabi, or uh, Bahrain as well, um, where this is, also, um, uh, this is also true in some of the countries um, that income uh, is high. Okay, so let's say you've decided where you want to move abroad. Um, what was your, what's on the checklist of things to do, like when you're planning on moving to another country? First of all, figure out what is important for you. Uh, for you and your family, that's super important that if you decide to move with your partner or even with your kids, that you have a, a common understanding of what that will mean for you as a as a couple, as a uh, as a family. Yeah, because many times if you move together and one person is giving up the job and cannot work there, this will cause a lot of uh, potential stress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so th- that is super crucial to really align on. Why are you moving abroad? Where you want to move to? How do you imagine that set up? Uh, how is this new um, equilibrium for you uh, as a couple or as a family? Of course, it's a lot easier um, if you're single. But these are the, the core topics. Then it's definitely more practical things like um, consider cost of living. How will I do that there? Um, where is What is my income um, what are the costs that I will have? The costs definitely are higher if you consider to really move your household uh, goods to another place. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that can be uh, costly. Uh, the other question is also what do you do with your current um, uh, place um, or your accommodation? If it's not rented, let's say you own a property, what, what are you doing with that? That mm-hmm. is an important topic as well. And, um, of course, um, finding an accommodation in another country, that is also a big topic. The job is definitely a very important one because many times the visa is linked to having a job contract in place. So I think that's everything. Uh, I know it's a lot, uh, but, you know, I thank you so much for talking to us about it. Of course, Gabi. It was very nice to talk to you. Time for a quick break. When we come back, I'm calling a woman who's going to talk us through her move to Spain. And we're back. So I'm sitting here, staring at my escape plan, and I think I need to make two sections. A section for my emotional well-being, which includes, like, how easy it would be for me to settle in or build community. And then a space for cold, hard logistics. I just added a big highlighted section called immigration. How easy or difficult would it be for me to get through the paperwork process and pay the immigration fees? I feel like that may be a whole other issue. Wow. Anyway, now we're going to call my other guest, an American living in Spain. She said she'd be down for telling me about her immigration process and kind of how she navigated the move even though she still has student loans. Plus, life in Spain. Who doesn't want to hear what that's like? Hello. Hi. Can you tell our listeners who you are and what you do? So my name is Danielle. Um, I am a 31-year-old American 
Mm-hmm. And I've lived in Spain now for almost five years. I've lived in Madrid. I now live in Barcelona. I've also lived in, I studied abroad in France and spent a little bit of time just kind of um, nomading around in France, we'll call it. And I've just, I'm just a person who really loves travel. So why did you decide to move to Spain? It's kind of a long story, but first and foremost, I was raised in a family with a lot of expats. My parents lived in Germany, Luxembourg, France. So I was kind of raised with the, with the idea of always wanting to travel. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, in college, I met a really cute guy um, who I fell in love with, and he happens to be Spanish. So after um, a couple years of long distance, um, traveling back and forth between Spain and the U.S., I decided just to bite the bullet and, and move to Spain to be with him. So how expensive was the move? Like, h- how much did you save before you could leave? So I didn't really have a lot saved, unfortunately, because um, most of my savings I spent on grad school. Sure. I really didn't have a lot saved, but I sold my car and sold some of my furniture to be able to make the move happen. Yeah. So we were talking about that because like moving, I moved from New York to LA and that was a whole thing of selling your furniture, getting new furniture. Um, You know, that's like some of the financial stuff that you don't think about. So Mm -hmm. how, how expensive was it to move? You know, I actually don't really remember how much it was. Um, There was, so I think in my case, I was a little bit fortunate that my then fiance, but now husband um, had already his apartment and he already had moved into the apartment in Madrid a year before me. Oh, wonderful. Exactly. Um, So it was just kind of like, unfortunately, moving into his bachelor pad, but you know, that was beneficial in many, many ways. So I really only just had to afford the flight. Now, um, my immigration fees is what added up. And I think on immigration fees alone, I sold my car for about 6000 before I moved. And I think uh, my immigration fees, plus also we used some of that for paying for our wedding. I think that that added to the, to the car money real quick. The immigration fees were thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. Yes. Wow. That's like for a visa and for like getting to, to legally work there? Yes, we used a large portion of it on the wedding as well, too, even though we did a courthouse wedding um, to try to speed up the paperwork a little bit. Sure. So a lot of the fee, because my wedding was tied up in immigration, um, actually, uh, we got married sooner than I think we would have both wanted to simply so that I had a green card to live here in Spain. Um, So I kind of mixed immigration fees plus that wedding combined simply because it was we had to marry to be able to for me to live here. Um, So it was kind of the to pay the judge in the courthouse, um, to pay also we had a luncheon, you know, to pay for the luncheon, which wasn't necessary immigration wise, but eh, it was fun. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, But then also it was a lot of the fees, uh, you know, here in Spain, unfortunately, um, the bureaucracy can be kind of a nightmare. So it's, you know, a 50 euro fee here and another 50 euro fee here for different cards that you need or for different numbers that you need. Um, and so that added up pretty quickly. Was it hard to do that? I, I guess, do you not speak Spanish? I didn't when I first moved here. So was that hard to do? I guess you had your husband, but was that for you personally confusing? It was super difficult. So my husband was working at the time, so he couldn't really help me with a lot of the immigration stuff. Um, he sometimes would be able to take off from work, but not always. Mm -hmm. So a lot of it was just me Googling ahead of time, what words I needed to know, Mm -hmm. writing them down on a piece of paper and then bringing that to these different offices. Um, probably the most frustrating thing about immigrating to Spain was 
Now, unfortunately, customer service isn't really a thing here in Spain. Um, so you you have a you end up in a lot of situations where you're dealing with a bureaucratic paper pusher who doesn't really want to do their job, and they say, "Oh no, go talk to the next person. I'm on my break." Um, <laughs> so and literally, they got up and leave and go get their coffee, and I'm waiting. <laughs> so it was a lot of um, no, sorry, that's not here in this office. They direct me to a different office. Yeah. I go to that office. They no, sorry, not here either. I go to a third office. They say, no, sorry, you have to do that in the office that you went to the first time. So I go back to the first office. And then finally, after insisting, somebody might do something. Yeah, I always think of that, like when I have to go to the DMV and stuff, and I th- see the people in the uh, waiting area who don't speak English, I'm always like, this must be a fucking nightmare for you. It is. It really is. Um, uh, how expensive was it to like rebuild your life in Spain? That was the hard part, actually, um, because there was a period of time where I wasn't legally able to work. Now, I did do, you know, a couple of like babysitting gigs here and there and little like teach English on the side stuff. Um, but that's not really money to live off of. So um, my husband had before me moving over, he had, I think, maybe about mm, four or five thousand in savings that mm, by the time I was able to find a job, we were living paycheck to paycheck with maybe two, three hundred in the bank account. Why weren't the- you? You weren't legally allowed to work. No, um, it kind of works like the same. Same in the U.S., you have to have your work papers or a green card before anyone will hire you. Um, oh, now that's one wow. legally because if I don't have a social security number, I even if I was legally living in well, let's say um, legal limbo is actually what I and some other expats call it. While my paperwork was being processed, um, I had no proof that I could work, but I was allowed to be in Spain, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's why I call it legal limbo. Um, so until my paperwork was processed, it was about nine months before I could work. How are taxes done? How do you do taxes? So um, taxes are quite high here in Spain. On top of that, if you're a U.S. citizen living abroad... Um, you don't have to necessarily pay your U.S. taxes, but you have to declare your U.S. taxes. And the U.S. government will tax you if you make above a certain income, which is, I can't remember the income. It's a pretty high income, something I'll never dream of making here in Spain, but something that uh, maybe those who have moved over for very lucrative jobs, say in Switzerland, where they do make higher salaries, um, might have to consider. So there's a possibility of being doubly taxed if you're a U.S. citizen. Even if you get citizenship in Spain? Even if I get citizenship in Spain. Um, so I would be, if I got citizenship in Spain and didn't renounce my U.S. citizenship, which is, I would never want to renounce that personally, um, I would still have to declare my taxes to the U.S. That is a scam. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to pause the conversation here because we need to take a quick break. Be right back. And we're back. So filing taxes in Spanish. Mm -hmm. Your husband does it. (laughs) (laughs) He does the Spanish taxes and I do the American taxes. Yeah. Do people in Spain generally prioritize like saving or retirement or investing or things like that? Or are you guys just like more chill? Uh, A little bit more chill. Definitely. Definitely more chill, which is actually kind of a culture, cultural differences that my husband and I have between, you know, amongst ourselves. Uh, I guess I have the American idea of we have to be saving, saving, saving. My husband feels 
differently. He feels like, oh, why don't we just live in the moment? Um, Spain actually has a pretty good retirement, um, you know, re retirement for people after I think the retirement age here is 67. I believe they just raise it to 67, but I could be wrong. Um, but yeah, most people just feel comfortable to spend what they have um, and then know that the government or Spain will take care of them um, all the way up until retirement. Now, I think that's great that we have that, but I also like to have my own personal savings account. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the impression. I went to Spain. I went to Madrid very briefly. Uh, and that is the impression I got was uh, sort of prioritizing experiences and leisure and mm -hmm. uh, uh, like over savings or it just didn't seem like there was a lot of stress about that. <laughs> Right. And that's actually one thing that I love about Spain. Um, on, on any given day, there's just people out enjoying life. Um, I'm fortunate to live on a pedestrian street with lots of really cool uh, bars and restaurants. So it's just kind of nice to walk outside my apartment and see people just enjoying life. And it could be the middle of the day. Um, we have a pretty long lunch break here in Spain. So it could be the middle of the day and you're just out having a beer with a coworker before you get back to work. Um, so that's that's really nice. What um what are some big things that people should consider when they're figuring out whether they should leave the US and and where they could go abroad? Like we're trying to give people the tools to make the best decision, you know, for mm -hmm. themselves. Yeah. So, I would say actually it's very important to think um obviously the financial portion is super important, but if I had made my decision to move to Spain on finances alone, I might not have done it. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think I realized how low salaries are here in Spain, but at the same time, I wouldn't have realized the benefit of a uh, work-life balance, the benefit of, um, social safety nets, the benefit of just kind of living, um, in a, honestly, just kind of living in a different culture. So a lot of people leaving the U S are doing it for personal reasons like you rather than, you know, for financial gain or a better, uh, job or something. Um, so has, you know, taking the leap and moving to another country where it might be harder to find job opportunities or it might be harder to like have money in the beginning. I mean, that obviously like would sort of change the way that you value money, right? Like you made the choice to be like, love is more important. Actually, yeah, I think I do have a little, I think I do have kind of a different value of money. Um, I, you know, I, I don't think it dawned on me until you just said it, but yeah, maybe so. Um, I think my husband would disagree. I think he thinks I probably have a very American attitude. Towards <laughs> <my> even, <laughs> but, um, I definitely do value the fact that I have, um, you know, more vacation days here in Spain than I would in the U S. And, um, I mean, I live right on the beach here and yes, it's an expensive city to live in for a Spanish salary. Um, but I absolutely love the region and I don't think I'd change it for, I don't think I would change it. Even if someone offered me, you know, Oof. Um, a million bucks. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think people are scared um, because to move because they just don't know what's going to happen for them financially. And that makes sense, actually. I moved here. Um, well, unfortunately for Americans, most of us, at least of uh, our generation, um, at least I think we're in the same generation, um, student loans, like like we were talked about before, right. that for me is a big struggle moving here. And how am I going to pay back my student loans when at first I wasn't working? Um, and then 
also even when I was working on a lower salary. So that was kind of terrifying. Um, but you managed to make it work. I just go about paying my bare minimum and, and just consider it an expense I'm going to have for the rest of my life. But you know what? It's, that's fine. It is interesting to go to school to ostensibly better yourself and then be shackled <laughs> when you get out. Right. Right. <laughs> I maybe this is why the show is called Bad with Money, but I'm I don't think that should keep you from leaving for love or even like people that are saying they want to leave because they don't like the political climate. I mean, so I'm like, I don't know when you're dead, are you gonna really be like, oh, thank God I stayed because of my student loans? Exactly. Exactly. It's, we shouldn't hold ourselves back for it. How valuable did you find having a community of expat friends in Spain? Very valuable. Um, I would say the majority of my closest friends are other Americans who are who are living here as well. Or if not other Americans, other Spaniards who have lived abroad and simply came back to Spain. Um, I think it's important to have a tribe of people who kind of know what you're going through. Um, I have my group of American friends who I can text them and say, the way people walk here in Spain drives me crazy. And they automatically understand it. Um, Spaniards <laughs> are slow walkers and they take up a lot of space on the streets. <laughs> so any American here in Spain will automatically understand what that statement meant or what I was complaining about. Um, so yeah, it's super, super important to have a group of expats who just understand the same things you're going through. And then also with that same group of Americans here in Spain, I can complain about things about American culture that irks me. And they say, and they can respond like, oh, yeah, yeah, I get it. It's so much better here in Spain in that aspect. Did you talk to anyone uh, b about what you needed to do before you left? Well, e most of it was um, my husband did, actually. So back before I moved, when I was in the U.S., my husband went around to different bureaucratic offices to ask, um, you know, what kind of paperwork I needed to bring from the U.S. So things like birth certificates. Um, uh, there's a document that's very important for anyone who is, it's not a document, it's a stamp. Um, it's called the Apostille. And any um, document that's coming from the U.S. to be taken, to be considered legal here in Spain has to have that Apostille. And that's kind of an international agreement that countries have with each other. Um, so I didn't know that till I moved abroad. So it was my husband telling me, oh, the Spanish official says you need document A, B, C, and D, plus this stamp on all of the documents, plus an official translation in Spanish on all of the documents. And of course, all those documents came with at least a 50 euro or dollar fee, depending on which country I was in. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Paperwork is uh, yep. terrifying is. and expensive. Mm -hmm. Like I mentioned before, I spent you know, at least a couple thousand on paperwork. Thank you so much for being so forthcoming with like specific numbers. I really appreciate that. You're welcome. This was a great chat. So a shortcut through the move abroad process is finding a foreign husband. Eh, pass. I don't know. I'm, I'm already with someone. And even though we're non-monogamous, it just seems like a whole thing. But I will add a few more notes to my escape plan. In the immigration section, note, immigration fees will be expensive. If I sell my car, don't plan on being able to keep that money. More research required. And in my emotional well-being section, I'll add, research how expensive it would be to fly home for Hanukkah every year. Okay, well, cool. I think that's enough homework for now. 
This was a great distraction, actually. I totally forgot how shitty I felt this morning. Now I need another distraction. <laughs> oh, thank God. Time for the credits. Okay. Thank you for listening. Please share your favorite episode this season with a friend. At least one friend. That's all I ask. You have one friend, right? If you like the show, please rate and review us and make sure you're subscribed on Stitcher or wherever you find your podcasts. The show is produced by Tamika Weatherspoon and our audio engineer is Brendan Burns. Our audio is edited by Andy Christens and our supervising producer is Josephine Martirana. Our executive producer is Chris Bannon. Original music is composed by Zach Sherwin, Mike Kaplan, and Jack Dolgen. And our theme song is performed by Sam Barbera. Bad With Money is a production of Stitcher. And do you know that we have merch on podswag.com? Go look at that. I'm Gabby Dunn. See you next week.